which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew that what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And then when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I hear you good folks uh, going through the Gospel of John. It's a good book to study. I knew John well. John was one of my friends. John was one of my fellow disciples. He was a colleague. It's funny though, you know when... uh, Jesus called John and his brother James. He, he gave them a, a really unusual name. Boagonias. How about that for a nickname? Boagonias. Boagonias. Well, can't be brothers. But you know what it meant? It meant sons of thunder. And... Uh, yeah, if you knew John and if you knew James like I did, that, that name fitted them perfectly. They were zealous. They were fishermen. They fished on the Sea of Galilee and, and uh, they were strong men. And they were very special to Jesus, James and John, John the Apostle particularly. So special, they they got to see things that we, the rest of us disciples, just didn't see. James, Peter, and John got to see Jesus on the top of a mountain, and he was transfigured. They also saw Elijah and Moses. Can you imagine that? 
But I'm not going to talk about that today. There's other things I, I, I really want to share with you today. You see, I was one of the very first disciples that Jesus called. I was just wandering around the Judean countryside and Jesus came up to me and says, follow me. Follow you? Follow me. And I don't know to this day why I did, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. And you know, immediately after that call to follow him, you know what I did? I had a good friend. His name was Nathaniel. He was a great friend. He was a bit of a sort of a a scholar, a wannabe pastor. He was always studying God's word and he would, he would go outside the city gate and sit underneath the fig tree and just look at God's word. So I, I chased him down and I said, Hey, Nathaniel, I think we've found the Christ. I think we've found the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, but old Nathaniel, he was, he was so skeptical. He says, Oh, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You see, he didn't understand that Jesus of Nazareth was actually born in Bethlehem. And to be born in Bethlehem, you were a son of David. Your line was from the tribe of David. So he had the right to rule. He was part of the Davidic line. But Nathaniel, he was skeptical, you know. Oh, no, nothing comes out good out of Nazareth. But Jesus revealed himself to, to Nathaniel. In a remarkable way. Because Jesus displayed to Nathaniel what his heart was. He saw Nathaniel and he says, Oh, Nathaniel, a man in whom there is no deceit. Now, who can, who can look at the heart of man? We know that every one of us here has deceit in our heart. But Jesus revealed the deceit was not in Nathaniel. And you know what Nathaniel's response was? Master, Rabbi, my Lord, you are the King of Israel. Incredible response. Nathaniel responded in a way that was divine. And yeah, straight after that, we all went to a wedding. Oh, what a wonderful wedding. We love weddings in Cana. Incredible times of fellowship. We we just celebrate for seven days straight. Now, that's a wedding. But you know, at this wedding, something happened. It was a social faux pas. They ran out of wine. Now, who runs out of wine at a wedding? You don't run out of wine at the wedding. But Jesus had great compassion upon that situation. Just a small town, a a town in the middle of nowhere. No one knew of Cana really. But Jesus said to the stewards, go grab six large jars. Well, there were six large jars there actually. They were there for purification rites. And he said, grab those. And he turned water into wine. And I got to tell you, I've never tasted a vintage quite like it. It was tremendous. But you know what? It wasn't the taste of the wine that captivated us disciples. 
for this is the first time we actually believed. Who can turn water into wine? He must be divine. He must be the Son of God. So we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And I tell you what, when you follow Jesus, you don't need a Fitbit. You don't need to count your steps. Because I tell you what, we walked all over the land. From Galilee up to Jerusalem. And I know Jerusalem is is south of where the Sea of Galilee is, but it's a 4,000 foot climb. We were consistently walking. Going to all the special feasts that were held in Jerusalem because as Jews, you know, we, we used to celebrate Passover. We celebrated Pentecost. We celebrated the Feast of Booze and the Feast of Tabernacles. We were required as Jews to be there three times a year. And we were. Because Jesus wanted to honor the Old Testament. But you know, every time we went to Jerusalem, something happened. Jesus would teach in the synagogue. And the religious folks, yeah, they get really upset at that. Oh boy, would they get upset. You see, they were inquisitive because Jesus was doing lots of signs. He was healing people. He was making the the lame walk and the, the blind see. But Jesus knew their heart. And they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe where the sign was pointing that he was the Son of God. You know, we had this confrontation with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, he was a, he was a forthright religious fellow. He led the Jewish people from a theological perspective. He, he was like your pastors of today. He was like that, sort of. Sort of like that. But he was meant to know the law. But you know what? Jesus had a dialogue with him and Nicodemus didn't understand what it meant to be born again. He didn't understand what it meant to be born from above. He had no idea. That's like going to your pastor and asking, well, how can I become a Christian? Nicodemus didn't know. He was in the dark. Or actually, I prefer to probably think of him as being in the twilight zone. He sort of liked the idea of Jesus, but... I'm not sure if you ever really trusted. I'm not sure. But you know what we did one day? One day we, we left Jerusalem. And you know, we would normally skirt around Samaria. Samaria wasn't a favorite place for us to go. We like going to Footscray. You just don't go there. You know, so we 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 skirt. We were designed to skirt around Samaria, and, and, uh, but Jesus didn't. He took us right through the middle of this heathen and pagan half-brother land. 
You know, these people thought that you worship gods other than in Jerusalem. What a load of piffle. That's the Aramaic word for rubbish, okay? Piffle. And, uh, but Jesus stopped by Jacob's well. Jacob's well was a famous well, because that's where many forms of blessing occurred, you know? And love and romance. Jacob's well, a place of romance. You know, if you're looking for a husband or a wife, go stand by the well. It's a good place to stand. Isaac found Rebecca. Jacob found Rachel. Got two for the price of one. His, uh, his sheep and his crops flourished by the well. And, uh, but we were there and the Samaritans overtaken this area and, and Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman. Talk to a woman and a Samaritan? Oh, no, 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 no. That blew our minds. Just as well we were in town trying to find food. We were hungry. But Jesus was about his father's business. Jesus knew that the harvest was ripe. And he shared with this woman... And she rushed off. She didn't even take her water into town. She rushed off into town and says, I think I have found the Christ. Come and see me. Come and see him. I think I have found him. So the townsfolk came out and Jesus spent two days there. We spent two days there. And do you know what happened? Jesus changed their heart. You know what they did? They turned and they confessed and they said, He is the Savior of the world. Do you know that yourself? You know that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Oh, I hope you do. Anyway, these were just some of the things we were doing as Jesus' disciples and but I want to tell you about a really, really interesting thing that happened to me personally. See, we were, I said, walking a lot. And we just needed to get out of it for a little while. So we decided to go to a desolate place, and a desolate place was on the other side of the sea. The Sea of Galilee, which I think in John's account of this, this story, the the Sea of Galilee is now the Sea of Tiberias. The Romans changed the name. But we needed to get away from the, the crowds. Jesus needed to get away. and So we, we moved on to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. You would know that today is just under the, the hills of the Golan Heights. That's the eastern side, but that's where we, we, we went but we couldn't get away from the people. Large crowd came and, and you know, the wonderful thing about God's word is we've got four perspectives of what happened here. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about 
what was happening here on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And this large crowd came and they ran. They were running on foot, Matthew tells us. And they were coming from all the towns around and they were coming to see Jesus. Because they had seen some of the signs or they heard about the signs and they, they wanted to see the miracle man. Oh, we just wanted some rest. But you know what? Mark and Matthew tell us that Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on this crowd because they were sheep without a shepherd. Any of you here from that wonderful little promised land called New Zealand? You would know what it means to have sheep without a shepherd. When a sheep does not have a shepherd, it is clueless. It is stupid. It is dense. You see a flock of sheep without a shepherd, they run in all sorts of directions. This is not very complimentary. But Jesus in his compassion saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And this is around Passover time again. This is the second Passover we spent with Jesus. And you know what? There are about fifteen to 20,000 people with us in this desolate place. There's 5,000 men for sure. There's women and there's children. 15 to 20,000 people. That's a lot of people coming to Jesus. And Jesus turned to me. Because we've been there all day. He'd been ministering to them. He'd been talking to them about the kingdom. He'd been sharing bit about who he was and but he turned to me me he turned and he said Philip where are you going to buy bread for these people they're hungry <laughs> yeah okay how come this crowd is now all of a sudden my responsibility buy bread for all these people do you know how much that would cost Lord do you know how much 200 denarii. You know what that is? Show me your denarii. You don't have a denarii? Huh. Well, just give me your, your year's wages then. That's what I need to buy this bread. A year's wages. A year's salary. Oh, that the church would give the year's salary. No, no. Uh, the year's salary. That's what it's going to cost to feed these people. So you know what I did? I thought, oh, yeah, I'll solve this problem. I'll go see Judas. No. Getting money out of Judas was an impossible situation. <laughs> he had his hand so tightly fisted around the bag, you, you would get nothing. No, I, I didn't go to see Judas. 
Because this is a hopeless situation. How can I find bread for these people? We're in a desolate place. Haven't I said that before? Desolate. Nothing around. Nothing. Oh. Anyway, one of my other disciples, Andrew, he had a really, he had a really bright idea. <laughs> Get this. He's a boy over there with five loaves and two fish. And he said, oh, maybe he can help. It wasn't even good bread. It was barley bread. Oh, that's not artisan bread. Everyone knows in, in Jerusalem that the best bread is wheat bread. This is poor man's bread. This is horrible bread. How could that feed people? So I guess Andrew was feeling a little hopeless as well. But you know what? Even though the situation was utterly, utterly hopeless. Jesus took that bread. He took those fish. He gave thanks. He told us to, and we actually told the people, get into crowds of 50 and 100 on the green grass. Yeah, even though it was a desolate place, there was pockets of beautiful, lush green grass. And Jesus gave thanks and, and distributed the food and the, the food kept on coming. The food kept on coming and, and I'll tell you what, these people were hungry. They hadn't eaten all day. They'd been listening to Jesus. They kept eating and they kept eating and they kept eating and they kept eating. And when they were satisfied... Notice that they were satisfied. They'd had their fill. This is like going to an eternal banquet, a buffet, where you just keep eating. Like a cruise ship. We just keep eating. They were satisfied. And uh, Jesus said to us, Go collect the leftovers we don't want to waste anything you know what there were 12 full baskets left 12 full baskets you know it got me thinking as I thought about this scene yeah sure Jesus tested me Jesus always tests his disciples but you know here we were all seated on the grass here we were, a, a people without a shepherd. And it reminded me of that wonderful psalm that David penned. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That was around Passover time. Jesus just fed these, these people. Anyway, they were eight. They were satisfied. But 
you know what? I failed. I failed to see the importance of Jesus' question to me. His question, well, you buy bread. I was so consumed about the here and now, I failed to see the intent of his question. See, Jesus wasn't really asking me to provide food. He had that one sorted. He knew what he was going to do. What Jesus was really asking me was, do you know who I am? Do you know that I am the Son of God? Do you know that I can provide this mere crowd fill? And that stuck with me. That stuck with me. You know, I had seen Jesus turn water into wine. I'd seen Samaritan people, Samaritan, the half-brothers, the people we hated, proclaim that he was the saviour of the world. I saw the lame healed, the sick healed, the blind were able to see. And you know, I was concerned a little bit about a bit of bread. Jesus was testing me to, to say, do you really know who I am, Philip? I am the divine son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the saviour of the world. You see, it's interesting as you, as you read these accounts, the crowd responded to Jesus. They, they thought he was the prophet. They had all been to Sabbath school and um, they knew the stories. They go on to Deuteronomy 18 and in Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses says this, the Lord your God will raise for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. I'll raise him up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put their words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded them. The people in some way, even though they were satisfied by the food, thought, this is the prophet who Moses spoke about. They wanted some political gain out of this deal. They wanted to take Jesus and make him king. Taken by force, actually, and make him king. Because they wanted to be removed from the tyranny of the slavery that we were all under at that time. The Romans weren't very nice people. But you know what Jesus did? So it had been a long day. A really long day. Before he retreated up the mountain to pray, he ushered us down to the, the shore. And he put us in the boat. After he put us in the boat, he went back to the crowd and dismissed the crowd. I don't know what he said to them. We don't have a record of that. But they seem to be happy to be dismissed. But the issue is that Jesus took us down to the boat, right? We're on the seashore of Galilee. And I'll tell you what, it was blowing. It was blowing a howling gale from the southeast quarter. You could see the white caps and it was getting on dark. It was dark, actually. And uh, you could see the, the foaming of the sea and it didn't look like a very inviting place for us. 
But Jesus further tests us. If you read in Matthew and Mark, it's not us who get in the boat. Jesus commands us to get in the boat. You guys, get in the boat now. I want you to go to the other side. Go. I'm going to go back and pray and I'm going to talk to the crowd. I was just really, really pleased that we had some experienced sailors with us. So I was looking at these waves and I'll tell you what, I was a little bit fearful, but I looked to, to Peter, James and John and said, oh, are you guys okay with this? Yeah, yeah, we'll be right. Yeah, we'll be okay. We're experienced fishermen after all. We're used to the sea. Yeah, it's a little rough, but hang on there, brother Philip. We'll be okay. We'll get to the other side. So, yeah, I trusted them. The rest of us trusted them. All 12 of us trusted those guys. And, but the wind was blowing. It was really blowing. So we started sailing to the other side. And we got in trouble. We really got in trouble. I saw these experienced fishermen starting to fear. I could see the fear in their eyes. How do you think that made me feel? Man, I'm not a fisherman. I don't even like being in the sea. We were rowing hard. We were rowing against the wind. We were trying to get across the other side. And... and uh, it was tough going. It was about the third watch of the night and we saw something on the horizon. We saw something on the horizon and that was more fearful than the actual waves and winds around about us. It was a ghost. Have you ever seen a ghost? We didn't know what it was. You don't see things on top of the water walking across it. Must be a ghost. To say we were terrified is an understatement. An absolute understatement. We were petrified. Absolutely petrified. And then you know what happened? The ghost spoke to us. Oh. The ghost spoke. He only said a few words. And the first word I will never forget. He said, I am. Followed by, do not be afraid. Only one other person I know throughout the Old Testament said, I am. That was God. He met Moses in the desert, in a desolate place. Manifest himself in a bush that was burning. He said to Moses, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. And then after he commissioned Moses to go and set his people free, Moses says, who shall I say that's sending me? And God said, Say it is I am who is sending you. Take heart. Do not be afraid. 
is I and the I am. Wow, you thought that would be the end of it, but good old impetuous Peter. My mate Pete, a fisherman's meant to stay in the boat. A fisherman is meant to help sail the boat. No, no, not Peter. Not Peter. He said, Lord, if it's really you, let me come to you. (laughs) Well, this is going to be a treat. So Jesus steps out on the water and he starts walking to Jesus. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks a bit. He cries out, he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out and picks him up and he says, oh, Peter, you have little faith. So we're all back in the boat. And then immediately we arrived at the other side. That's another miracle. You know, I know you, you guys are the, the, the generation of space travel and time travel and all that sort of stuff. I'll tell you what, this was the ultimate time travel. Middle of the sea and now at Capernaum. Like that. We're at the other side. You see, unlike the, the feeding miracle... We disciples were the only one to see this miracle. Jesus revealed to us that he was the I am, the divine son of God. What was our response? Our response, unfortunately, is not recorded in John. It's recorded in Matthew. Those of us on board the ship we turned and we worshipped him. We worshipped him because, as it says, truly he is the Son of God. You see, Jesus had tested us in a remarkable way. In many ways, we had failed the test We were gripped by hopelessness when we were feeding the 5,000. Gripped by hopelessness when it came to feeding a large crowd. We also feared the wind and the waves. And we did not recognize who Jesus was. Jesus used this lack of faith and these trials to reinstill in us the belief and the, the the truth that he is the son of God. He is the faithful provider. He is the faithful redeemer. He is Lord over everything. That's what he did. This is John chapter 6, 22 to 40. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves had gotten into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they say to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father, who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God... For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the word. The world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I say this to you, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not only to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing for all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and that I will raise him up on the last day. See, we'd moved to the next day. We were, we were now in Capernaum. Many come seeking Jesus. They come up from Tiberias, they... They come from the crowd over on the eastern side. So they were looking for him. They were looking for him. And uh, they wanted to see another miracle. They wanted to see another sign. They really just wanted to be fed. But you know what? These, these two miracles that we were involved with here, feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water had significant Passover overtones. You see, the Passover, when we celebrated the Passover as Jews, uh, it epitomized a couple of things. It epitomized redemption and it epitomized rescue and it epitomized preservation. You know, redemption through the Passover lamb. Rescue came as we walk through the Red Sea and preservation as we wandered around because of our own stupid grumblings and complainings in the desert for 40 years as manna was provided every, every morning. You see, every time we remember Passover as a Jew, we remembered that God controlled both the water and the provision of food. Jesus had just displayed that. He had control over both the provision of food and the water. And the crowd came to us because they noticed that we had gone across the lake and they knew that Jesus had stayed on the other side and they said, well, how did you get there? 
They asked him three questions. That was the first one. How did you get there? And you've got to notice every time Jesus wants to make a really strong statement, he uses two words. What are the two words he uses? Truly, truly, I say unto you. He wanted to emphasize something really important when these questions were being asked. And he started revealing, actually, you're not not really concerned at how I got from A to B. What you're really concerned about is the fact that you want more bread. You want another miracle. But I tell you what, I'm going to give you bread that lasts for eternity. Bread that lasts for eternity? And then they immediately asked a second question and they, they said, well, we want to be doing the works that God wants us to do. We want to be working for God. And Jesus replied, well, my primary purpose here on earth is to work for God. My primary purpose is to do the work of God. And the work of God is this, that you believe in me. Because God has sent me from above. You believe in me. And I will give you eternal life. And then the crowd responded with a third question. And as sometimes happens, they actually misquoted a psalm. They misquoted Psalm 78, 24. Right? This happens all the time. I'm sure it happens in your, in your culture. People grab a psalm and try and turn it into something it's not. Or grab a verse and take it out of context. We can, we can do all sorts of things by taking verses out of context. And these guys that did the same thing, they said, oh, Moses is the one that provided bread for us when we were wandering in the desert. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The bread was provided by God. The bread was provided by God and God alone. And the same way that God has provided, Jesus is the bread of life. And he declared to these people, I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, you'll never hunger physically again. I will restore you spiritually. And he said, not only that, I will preserve you until the end. None of you will be cast out if, if you believe in me. What a wonderful place of assurity as a disciple. Because we were fouling up all the time. We were failing the test. But Jesus said, I will never cast you out if you believe in me. See, God not only saves us, he also preserves us until the end, until the day of resurrection. So Jesus takes these two miracles and we'll look at again at this next week and he starts saying, these miracles are something larger than you think because I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. The Father has sent me from above to you to give you eternal life. I've come from heaven above. And if you believe in me, I will raise you up on the last day. You have certainty of that. And as I think about that as being a disciple, that's the key. The key is to understand the great I am is our hope. In the midst of the storm, he is there. You may not be facing storms of 
the Sea of Galilee. You may be facing storms of health, anger, unresolved conflict, even despair. Where is God? As a disciple, I want to tell you, he is there. He is the divine one. Call out to him like Peter did. Peter called out, save me, Lord. Because his faith was wavering. Does your faith waver? I'm sure it does. I'm sure you have so many things invading your headspace. But Jesus is the eternal bread of life. He is the divine one. He has placed your spirit, his spirit, within you to comfort, to guide, to convict, and to be an ever-present help in the time of need. I'm Philip, the disciple. 